0: Well amen, amen. I hope that uh, you are as glad to be here today as I am and I do wanna begin by saying happy Mother's Day. Uh, It's so good especially to see um, all of our moms, all of the the ladies that are here with us today. I wanna welcome you uh, to week number four of our series Jesus Loves Me and we have been learning about essential Christian beliefs using that kid's song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. For the Bible tells me so, and it's gonna be a memory tool that we hope you'll be able to carry with you throughout your life. And each week I've been reminding you we've summed up what we are learning on this card, and if you don't have one yet, I encourage you to pick one up on your way out. It's gonna be a way for you to review what we've already seen, and it's gonna be a way for you to preview what's coming in the series that's ahead And just to kind of catch us up, so far uh, in our series, we have learned that accessing the power of God through Jesus Christ is not complicated, but it's precise. It's precise, the truth matters. And we've learned several things. We've learned uh, about who Jesus is. We've seen how important it is that we understand uh, who he is, that we believe that Jesus is the one true God, fully God, fully human. And when you surrender your life to that reality, then you plug into the very power source of the universe. Again, it's not complicated, but it's precise. Last week we saw that that Jesus came on a rescue mission and that's why he had to be fully God and fully human. He came into the world to show the love of God to us and we focused last week on what it means for Jesus to love us, how he proved that love for us on the cross. And again, it's not complicated, but it's precise. And today, uh, we're gonna be talking about you. Uh, When we say Jesus loves me, what do we mean? I wanna get us thinking about that by asking this question. What do we understand that God sees when he sees us? Have you ever wondered about that? Who are you in the eyes of God And I think you're gonna be really encouraged and informed as we answer that question today. I think it's appropriate on Mother's Day that we kind of start from this vantage point of God as a parent and reflect on parenting because I recognize that all of us come here today with a wide variety of experiences with our parents and some of us were blessed. We had parents as really positive parenting and some of us, well, we might say our parents just kind of muddled through And I know on a day like today, um, it can be painful for some of us because our parents were not affirming, our parents were absent, uh, some of them were even abusive. So here's the question we're really asking today, what kind of parent is God? What does God see when he sees humanity? Well, we know that God knows everything, so God sees everything. He sees over seven billion people every day making trillions of choices. God sees them all. He sees the murders. He sees the abusive dads wounding the children they were designed to protect. He sees the pregnant mom who's abusing alcohol and, and damaging her baby. God sees the violence. He sees the wars. He sees the, the racism. He sees the injustice, but he also He also sees millions of loving moms sacrificing deeply for their kids. He also sees all of the dads teaching their sons and daughters to play catch and how to ride a bicycle. He sees all the heroes and all the professions who are giving up, sacrificing comfort and sometimes their lives for other people. So when God sees humanity, the good and the bad, What does he feel? How does he respond? As we think about this, uh, I wanna show you three images that capture both the beauty and the brokenness of humanity. And the first one is a familiar face, Robin Williams, comic genius, incredibly gifted actor who made so many people laugh, had such a successful career, and yet, as we all know, he struggled so much with depression and brokenness That in 2014, he tragically took his own life. It's a tragic picture of the human condition gifted, talented, wonderful, and yet broken at the same time. Here's a second image. This is also a famous uh, picture. It's from the war in Syria, where in 2016, this little boy was inside uh, his apartment building when it was bombed, and rescue workers found him as they dug through the, the rubble and they brought him out to this ambulance. And this war photographer was there and captured this, this chilling image where we see the innocence of a child marred by the blood and the brokenness of war. And here's a third image this one comes uh, from a landfill in Cambodia where hundreds of children actually live their lives. And I actually could have shown you multiple images like this from many other nations all around the world where, where this kind of poverty is just a way of life actually for hundreds of millions of people who live on the edge of starvation and death and disease every day. So what does God see when God sees humanity? Or let's focus it in and make it a little more personal. What does God see When he sees you. When God looks at you, do you think he just sees your flaws? Is God, you know, a perfectionistic, evil step parent kind of God? Arms crossed, induce approval all the time, you're never gonna measure up. Or is God, you know, kind of like a stereotypical millennial parent who's like, my child is perfect, even their poop smells good. I mean, they just can't do anything wrong, right? What does God see when he sees me and he sees you? Now, if you've been around here for very long, you know most Sundays we we go to God's Word and we open up a particular passage, we focus our time there, we ask, well, what's God's answer to the question we're considering out of this passage? But today we're gonna do it a little different. We're gonna look at a number of different verses But to help us understand where we're headed and what God sees when he looks at us, we're gonna now play a little game very quickly. And the game is called, What Do You See? And I'm gonna show you some more pictures and i want to ask you to think about what it is you're seeing. And here's the first one. What do you see when you look at this picture? Well, when I look at this picture, I see some rust. I think I see some plants, decaying kind of plant matter, something like that. Uh, let's look at picture number two. Now that I, I look at this and I, I see something, that, you know, it's a car engine. If you're a car person, maybe you're seeing this is either like maybe an inline six or maybe a V12. We're starting to see something, kinda looks like junk, right? Here, here's a third picture, similar theme, and uh, more people will recognize this now. If you're a car person, you'll say, hey, that's a split window Corvette, pretty rare. Very valuable. And then, last picture but not least, what do you see here? Well, there's two cars and they're in a barn. One of them's covered up by piles of magazines. Uh, This is actually a picture taken of a barn in France. And if you're a car enthusiast, you may be wiping the drool off your chin right now. Uh, This is what some of you fantasize about because we are looking at a Ferrari and a Maserati. They were found in this barn in France several years ago and these two cars are ruined. They're decayed. Nothing works. The engines won't start. It's all rust and it's all rot and yet, as ruined as they are, these cars are glorious to people who love cars because of who made them and because of what they represent. In fact, this car on the left under the, the, the magazines is a Ferrari 250 and the exact car uh, sold, this exact car that you're looking at, it's sold in this condition, magazines piled on top. Someone bought this car that wouldn't run and they paid not two million, they paid 23 million for that car just like it is. Why would someone do that? Well, this car is valuable to anyone who loves cars because of who made it and because of what it is. So, so whether or not it can perform, it is inherently valuable. You might call these cars a glorious ruin, they're both glorious as vintage Ferraris and Maseratis, what they represent, uh, who handcrafted them, but they're also ruined and decayed. And here's what I want you to see. This is exactly how God looks at you and at me and this world that we live in. Here's our big idea today. If you've got your app open and you're taking notes on it, you can write this down. Every person is a glorious, ruin, worthy Of restoration and you see just like that like any car enthusiast would look at that split-window Corvette or that Ferrari and say it's glorious the way it is I mean I would take it just like it is even though it's ruined a a true car enthusiast also says I love it so much that I want to restore it I want to take it back to its original glory what it was intended to be and to do and and it is valuable whether or not it performs even in its ruined state but I would love to restore it. This is how God views humanity. Every single person of every race, of every belief system, of every political party, young and old and healthy with disabilities, babies in their mothers' wombs, elderly people in nursing homes, all all of them, they are inherently valuable because they're made in his image and he sees glory in every person. And yet, as we were learning last week, if you remember, there has been a a catastrophic divorce in the universe, a tear in the fabric of the universe that has ripped God's creation, humanity, away from God. Sin has come into the world. Sin has separated all of us from God. And the Bible says all of us apart from God are spiritually dead. But still, God sees the glory and the ruin in each and every one of us He sees it with the eyes of someone who says, I love them as they are, but I love them so much, I don't want them to stay where they are. I wanna restore them to what I made them to be. Listen to Romans 5, 17. Paul, the apostle, writes, for if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So sin entered the world through Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning of God's story with humanity. God created us to live with him in a relationship forever and that life was to be a life of no pain or suffering but we, we chose to turn away. And so today, like like children who grow up in a home where mom and dad choose to divorce, maybe you could say we didn't pick this, but our spiritual ancestors did. And here's the reality. Each one of us has followed in their steps. Each one of us has chosen by our our thoughts and our, our words and our actions to disobey God. And this sin of humanity that's broken the universe has brought death and suffering and evil and disease and misery, death reigns. And because of that, our bodies, they wear out and they eventually die. Because of that, sometimes our relationships die. But here's the good news. Anybody ready for some good news right now? The good news is this, God's grace is even greater. When the Bible tells us about grace, grace is something you, that you get that you don't deserve. And we saw last week this grace. We saw last week that God proved his love with action. He, he proved that he loved us by sending his son Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were God's enemies. Jesus proved his love. For for us when he died on the cross and Jesus said, I will pay the price to reach her, to reach him and he paid a lot more than 23 million dollars. He paid a lot more than that to rescue you from the death of your sin and he did it because he loves you, he values you. The Bible is so clear. It teaches us we cannot earn the gift of salvation. We only receive it by faith. And, and when we do, we are told that the righteousness of Jesus, his holiness, his perfection is applied to us, and God restores us from our separation from him. When we receive this righteousness, God begins to restore us, and it is a lifelong process. And in this life we live on this earth, he gives us power, power to live in victory over sin, those old thought patterns, those habits, yes even maybe those addictions in your life, those things that damage you and and all the people around you, the gospel says you don't have to live under that power anymore. And God, in his grace, works in us and on us throughout our lives. He's working to make us more like Jesus. And then one day when we come to the end of our earthly life, God's restoration means that we will have victory not only over sin but over death death is not the end and we're gonna wake up after we die here in eternity and we're gonna have the bible says a fully restored body the bible calls it a glorified body you're gonna look down at your body and you're gonna go wow i look good and if you're a car person you know, glorified body should be a very cool idea because the, the body is the outside of the, the car, the metal, the hood, the doors. And, and I've read that when you restore a car, you start with the engine and the body is the last thing you do. And God does the same thing with us. And this is all possible through this man Jesus Christ, who we learned two weeks ago has to be fully God and fully human in order to come and die for us, to rescue us from our sin. Now, if you've been around church long enough, I haven't told you anything you don't already know. You're very familiar with that, but what does this mean in practical terms? What does this mean? Well, I wanna tell you three things it means if you're a believer in Jesus, and. And if you're considering following Jesus, believing in him, I want you to hear these things as well today. The first thing that it means is when you look in the mirror and when you say, who am I? You can know this. I am a glorious ruin and I'm being restored. Who are you? Let me remind you today, you are not who your parents or your spouse said that you are. You are not defined by your net worth or your GPA or how many followers you have. You are not your age, you are not your job title. You are made in the image of God. And you are therefore inherently valuable and no one can ever strip that away from you. You see, whether anyone else ever sees it or not, as your creator, God says you are inherently valuable. In fact, why don't you just say that right now? I am inherently valuable. Would you say that? I am inherently valuable. And just like someone who loves cars would look at that Ferrari 250 and say, that's, Glorious. That's how God feels about you. Even with the ruin that's in your life, even with all the brokenness that's there, whether it comes from your your family of origin, whether it comes from the choices you yourself have made, yes, we're all sinners. That's why we say around here at Southwinds, no perfect people allowed. And apart from God's grace, it would be easy for us to think that these things define us, but they don't, they don't. They may be part of your story right now but one day, they will just be the past. As you allow God to continue restoring you, he starts that restoration work in this life and he keeps on doing it until he finishes it in eternity. Second thing that this means, where others see junk, God sees treasure. You know, we've, all of us, I think, had those people in our lives who look at us and it just kinda seems like the only thing they ever see is the flaws, right? You have, you have someone like that in your life? You know, for some of you, that person is you. You only, when you look in the mirror, really see what's broken. You only see the flaws. And, you know, going back to those four pictures, most of us, when we started looking at them, we kind of thought they were just looking, you know, we were just looking at useless junk. But someone who loves cars, well, they see those pictures and they know that is worth thousands and thousands, maybe millions of dollars. Even in its ruined state, it is worth that much. And when God looks at you, he knows what needs work in your life. But that doesn't define you to him. He knows your inherent worth because he's the one who created you in his image. He knows what he intended for you before sin and death entered the world. He knows what you could be. And one of the things that means is that our failures are never final. Praise God. Because we're being restored. It means that our sinful habits and our addictions and our our weaknesses, the parts of you that you're ashamed of, that you don't want anyone to know about, God knows those parts. He knows them intimately, but he still loves you. He doesn't reject you. He's in that process of restoration. And whether it's an eating disorder or a pornography habit or some other addiction, maybe a magnetic pull to alcohol, those things in your life where you look at them and you think, man, that part of me is so ruined. I'm telling you today, friend, there's hope. There's hope. There's hope because we are in the hands of a master restorer And you should look around you right now if you feel kind of hopeless because there are hundreds of people all around you and their lives, if you ask them, give testimony to this reality that God takes what is ruined and he restores it. And all God's people said, God takes what is ruined and he restores it. And all of us, we've seen God take things that we thought we had broken beyond repair and he's come in and he's changed us and he's made us different and he's made us new. Friends, there's always hope. There's always hope. If you stay in the restoration shop I want to explore that idea that every human is a a glorious uh, ruin in need of restoration. Where does God's word tell us that all people are glorious? Well, we can start right in the first chapter of the Bible. Genesis 127 says this, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And again, this image of God or the Imago Dei, this is what separates humans from the animal world. And, and animals are valuable and beautiful because God created them. But they are not made in God's image. And we should not confuse those things. They do not have an eternal soul like you. do. They were not made to live in a relationship with God forever. Only you were made in the image of God God created mankind, male and female. He created us in his image. But what about that word ruin? We're glorious, but we're also ruined. And the Bible talks a lot about this. We could look at a number of verses. Here's this one, Jeremiah 17 verse nine says this. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Now I wanna be clear. The Bible doesn't teach that everything about us is sinful, but it does, it does tell us that at the core of our beings, in our hearts, sin resides and that sin has power. It has power to deceive us and this is such an important verse for our day to day 21st century America because we live in a culture that is constantly telling us, just follow your heart. And there are some of you, and you may not even realize it, but you live that way, you live according to that. You think that's the right way to live. You think that's how you're supposed to live. I'm telling you right now, the Bible never tells you that. God's word says your heart is deceitful. God's word says your heart will deceive you. And I cannot, I cannot tell you how many times I have looked across my desk at a man or a woman telling me they have to leave their family because they're following their heart. And they say stuff like I deserve to be happy, I deserve to be loved. I finally found the one my heart has been longing for and I just wanna scream no. Your heart is lying to you. Your heart is deceitful. Sometimes when I hear this, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. You know, it's it's kind of laughable, and so far, I'll just let you know, I haven't ever laughed in someone's face. But it's so laughable, because it's like, I've watched this movie before. It has more sequels than Fast and Furious. (laughs) And they're all bad. And they all turn out the same way. They all end in destruction and death. Disappointment. And sometimes, sometimes I want to cry. A few times I have, because I know that pain is coming, and not just for their wife or their husband or their kids. You know, Proverbs 14, 12 says there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. And people make choices every day. They're listening to their hearts and their hearts deceive them and their hearts lead them to death. Never life if they're not living according to God's word. We are made in God's image. So as his creation, we are capable of great good. But history It demonstrates so plainly the unbelievably great evil that our hearts can dream up and carry out. Every day, individuals follow their hearts into murder and abuse and racism. Every day, nations follow their collective hearts into war and genocide, so much evil. What can we do? What can we do if we can't trust our own hearts? Well, we can trust the one who created us in his image. That we can trust the one who has the power to change us, to restore our ruin, to restore our hearts, and that's why every one of us, though we are glorious as made in the image of God, we are ruined and we need restoration. So let's, let's look at this idea of being restored. Here's what, here's what God's word says happens the moment you place your faith in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, very familiar verse to many of you, says this, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And when you place your faith in Jesus, God places you in Jesus Christ. You are united to him in other places, the Bible says you actually get adopted into the family of God. The old is come, the new, uh, the old is gone, the new has come. You are a new person. And so at the moment you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and, and some of you are here, and maybe you're watching online, and maybe you did this last week as we were talking about the cross There's been a a time when you said, yes, I I do believe in Jesus for me. And when that happens, whenever that happens, you belong to Christ, you are a new person, new heart, new nature. Paul says, old life is gone. Now you have old mistakes and shame and guilt that used to follow you around. But those things don't define you anymore. You are new. And, And there's this, this, this this thing, maybe you see it in the language. A new life has come. Uh, some translations say has begun. It's this idea of process, a process that started. Now, some of you uh, maybe like to watch those shows where they restore different kinds of classic cars, and if you've ever watched one of those shows, you know that doesn't happen in a day. That sometimes that kind of restoration can take years because uh, restorers they they restore every single part all the way down to the smallest parts. They start with the heart, which is the engine, and they work their way out. And That's that's how it is with us. When you place your faith in Jesus, your heart has changed, your identity gets changed, your eternity has changed, and and then one piece at a time in your life, God is in the process of restoring you. And, And what's so beautiful is that now, with God's word as our guide, When our heart says, let's do this, we don't have to just follow our hearts. We can look to God's word and we can measure what our hearts are saying by the Bible and we can ask, is that a good thought, is that an impulse, a helpful impulse, is it good or bad according to God? Does this thing that I'm interested in doing, that I'm thinking about doing, does it lead to life or death? Is it from my new nature or from my old? And one day at a time, one choice at a time, we start to walk in this new way of life, all possible because of what Christ has done for us. Jesus loves me. He loves us all. Third, because Jesus is fully God, because he's fully human, sent to earth to love us by dying on the cross for our sins, something happens as soon as I place my faith in him and in his death, and that's the third thing. Christ begins restoring me the moment I trust him. Now, notice in that statement, Christ is doing the work. He's doing the changing. See, if you have an area in your life that needs to be changed, you know, just think, I can't do it, and then you're in a really good place. Just like an old car cannot restore itself, I can't change myself in my own power, but Jesus can, Jesus can change me. And, and my part, my, my job is just to show up, surrendered, open, willing to do whatever Jesus says. And I just do this one day at a time. I, I say, God, where you have put a part of my life, you know, on the workbench and you're working on it, you're sanding it down and it hurts. You're you're blasting things off and there's sparks. I I will stay surrendered to you because God, I trust you and I know you're restoring me. I know you're the master restorer. Now, some of you are hearing all this talk about cars and you've been here long enough to know. Pastor Mike, you're not a car guy and hopefully I haven't said anything stupid uh, about cars, Um, but if I have, you have to forgive me, God's word says, Uh, but You know I'm not a car guy, and I like nice cars, but I'm really not that into them. But I can look stuff up, and I did, and one of the things that I saw is the unbelievably minute, almost microscopic levels of restoration that takes place with these classic cars. See, when someone is truly restoring a classic car, they restore every part. They blast off all the corrosion and rust. They chrome what needs to be chromed. They paint what needs to be ta- painted. They restore it one component at a time, every single component. And it's the same way as we surrender our lives to Jesus. See, we, we immediately begin to experience joy and peace like we've never had before. But at the same time, can I get a witness right now? There's pain. There's pain. There's pain and, and, and God is working on us and it hurts sometimes. God goes to work on the pride in your life and he keeps working on us. Sometimes you, you just think, I can't take this anymore and then God goes to work on your greed and, and then he goes to work on your lust and then sometimes he goes to work on those deep wounds from your past that you didn't choose but they're still defining you. He straightens out bent things that are dented and it hurts but it's worth it because you're being restored. And sometimes you have these moments where you see the progress, and that's called the Christian life. It's why it's so important for all of us who are followers of Jesus to stay faithful, even when life gets difficult. It's why it's so important for us to keep coming to church, gathering with God's people. Maybe there are times you don't feel like going to church. Has that ever happened to you? You just don't feel like going to church? You notice that mine is the first hand to raise. Sometimes I don't want to come here. Sometimes I don't want to see you people, you know, and I get paid to do it, um, you know, it's like that sometimes. Sometimes we don't want to do that, do it. Sometimes we don't want to be there. But it's so important that we keep showing up and we keep allowing, keep allowing the master restorer to work on us, to change the things that we need to see changed. That's why it's important for you to go to life group, even when you don't feel like it. That's why it's important for you to keep volunteering to serve even when you don't feel like it. That's why it's important for you to give even when you don't feel like being generous. And let me say this. This is a little off topic, but this is my sermon, so I get to say what I want. Um, This is also why some of us need to get back to church, and I'm kind of talking to the people who aren't here. And I recognize I don't know every situation, and some of us need to still stay home. I know that, but the truth is Some of us are still watching online and there's really not a good reason for us not to come back, not to return, not to gather with God's people. And maybe you've gotten complacent, I don't know. But God calls his people to gather and that means in person whenever possible. And here's the simple reason why. God's uh, restoration process, part of that is being with God's people. Have you ever noticed how God seems to work more when you're with other believers. It's the way God made it. It's his design. We're all in the restoration shop together and God is working on us and and it takes a lot of time like we've been saying. And, And I think it's so important to be with God's people because sometimes it takes so long you think nothing's happening, right? It feels like it's never gonna get anywhere You know, in real life, when the engine is being restored and that's taking so long, sometimes the body is still sitting there all rusted out. The seeds are all rotted out, but work is being done. Progress is being made. That's how it is with God. God is always at work. He's always doing what only he can do, and he will keep doing it until every single component of your life is brand new. God starts with our heart. The engine, he works his way out. And he keeps on changing us. And whether you've been a Christian for three days or 30 years, or maybe you've been walking with God, some of you for three fourths of a century, there's still parts that God's restoring. And then one day, that day will come when he'll be done. And we'll breathe our last breath on earth and we'll wake up and we'll look at our glorified bodies and, and I don't know, maybe one of the things that we will think is finally I can eat all the ice cream I want, you know. <laughs> and it won't matter anymore. We'll be fully, finally, forever restored. And I know some of you, I'm looking around here, some of you, you're young enough that this doesn't really seem to be that big of a deal. You just wait. <laughs> if you're a little bit more advanced in years than some of the people around you, Just look at them right now and nod your head. Maybe wink at them. They don't think anything's ever gonna happen to them. You know you used to think that and you're thinking right now, your day is coming. Your day is coming. And this will mean so much more to you uh, when you get older. But the point is this, God just keeps working on this. And so I'm gonna ask a couple questions as we wrap this up. Where do you need God's restoring power in your life right now? Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe you're thinking right now, I don't even know how to be Jesus to this person. Maybe that person's your mom. I don't know, today's gonna be a hard day. Or or maybe you're thinking, I'm just so frustrated in my marriage or so frustrated with my child or someone at work I'm frustrated with. You know, today is an opportunity for you to say, God, I need you to restore me Make me more like Jesus, more forgiving, more patient. I need you to give me power to help me trust that you don't, that I don't have to fix them, but only you can fix them. Give me faith, God. Where do you need God's restoring work in your life? Maybe it's in your thought life. Maybe it's your perfectionism. I talked about this a few moments ago. Some of us, we have this perfectionistic tendency where we only see our flaws, or maybe it's you only see everyone else's flaws, and it's such a devastating trait. What we're studying and learning today has such important implications for perfectionism. If you you struggle with this, just realize this reminds us of what we always say around here at Southwinds, which is no perfect people allowed. I don't have to be perfect. The people around me don't have to be perfect. All any of us need to do is stay in the hands of the master restorer. And if you're feeling hopeless about some area in your life that seems hopelessly, broken or if someone you love seems hopelessly broken, let me remind you today, before you leave, there is no ruin beyond repair for the master restorer. Next question, do you know for sure that you are in God's restoration shop? Have you truly repented of your sins? Have you truly surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you trusted that the cross proves that Jesus loves you, that his death has paid the penalty for your sins, that there is salvation, eternal life in following him? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus' lordship? Has he actually taken you into his restoration shop? Have you prayed? And have you said, God, I need you. I I cannot save myself, restore myself. And and Jesus, I believe in you. Will you change me? I'm opening myself up. I'm giving you permission now, Jesus, to come into my life, take over, and do whatever you wanna do. Here's what I wanna say right now. If you haven't taken that step yet, will you take it today? You can. Like I've been saying in this, this series, it's not complicated, not complicated, but it is precise, and here's what we need to understand. Look at Ephesians 2, verses eight through 10. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so Paul is saying here salvation is by grace through faith. What I've been saying this entire message our works, our efforts never earn us salvation. And some of us have always thought the opposite. Some of us always thought the way you do it in life is you gotta end up with more good deeds than bad deeds and and hopefully God will accept you. God's word says no, no human being can ever be worthy of my love in themselves. No human being can ever do enough good to outweigh the bad. The only perfect human was Jesus, the one who loves you, the one who died for you. And when you place your faith in Jesus, his goodness, his perfection gets applied to you. And so salvation, which is getting into the repair shop, it doesn't happen by striving, it happens by surrendering, by believing, by trusting, by faith. And Paul tells us in these verses, faith is always a gift. Faith is not an accomplishment, it is a gift. I cannot take restoration, uh, uh, credit for God's restoration. He's the one who does it. And, and just like a, a barn find car cannot say, I'm restoring myself. We can't say, look, I did this to myself. Only God can restore That's what verse 10 says. It says, for we are God's workmanship. One translation says God's masterpiece or work of art. And here's the way I'll put it today with our picture that we're considering. God is returning all of us to our original specifications. He is making us the way he intended us to be before sin entered the world and ruined things. That's what God is doing, and that happens in Jesus Christ. Why does he restore us? Well, Paul says he restores us so we can serve him, so we can do all those good things that he planned for us so long ago. And you know, we looked at that Ferrari in the barn and we saw it couldn't even start, but it was still valuable because of what it was, not because of what it could do. But here's the thing, once it's restored, it's also valuable because of what it can do. And here's also the thing. As God starts to restore you, he will will put you on the road and you will begin to be able to drive through life and do things you have never done before. But now you're not doing these things to earn God's favor. You're not doing these things to deal with your shame or your guilt. You're doing these things because this is who God created you to be. God made us for life. And he wants us to give, he wants to give us the life that our sin destroyed. You know, on a day like today, Mother's Day, there's always some people who are here and truth is, you didn't want to come. Some of you, maybe your mom made you come today. And I don't know, maybe, maybe you've never heard that God loves you just as you are. And I wanna tell you today, if you haven't heard it yet, hear it now. His love for you is so great, he doesn't wanna leave you where you are. And no matter how far you may feel from God, he is here for you, he will never give up on you. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants to adopt you into his family. He wants to restore you fully. He wants you to be with him forever. So how do you know for sure you have that new life? How do you know you've allowed him to actually start restoring you? Listen to these last two verses. Romans 9 and 10 says this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. It's very simple. Anyone can do this. Anyone who desires to can do this, are you willing to declare Jesus as Lord as you trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? Do you believe that Jesus is God's only son, fully God, fully human? If you do, welcome to the restoration shop. Maybe you're here today and you're still wrestling with some things. Maybe you've come and you have some doubts. I just wanna ask you today, are you willing, will you be willing to doubt your doubts? Will you be willing to consider that maybe, just maybe, your heart is not the final test of truth? Just ask God if that's where you are to help you, to help you with your questions, to help you with your doubts, and if you are ready ready to surrender. We're going to pray in a moment and I'm going to help you express your thoughts and trust him for salvation. Before we pray, I want to just tell you the next step in the restoration process after you trust him is baptism. And and so if that's where you are, and it's been a long time that we've not been able to do some things, maybe you've trusted Jesus in this last year and you've not received baptism yet. We're going to be celebrating baptism in a few weeks on June the 6th. And I wanna invite you, let me or any of our pastors know that you wanna be baptized and we'll help you with your questions. We'll help you get ready. And with all that in mind, as we consider the glorious ruins that we are in our world today, God, our master restorer, as we think of those things, let's go before him in our prayer time. Let's pray together.